Hey there, people-powered business community. Are you ready to transform the way you handle difficult conversations in your business? If so, I'd love you to join me for the Mastering Difficult Conversations workshop that I'm running next week. In just three interactive online sessions on the 18th, 20th and 22nd of March, you'll discover your unique leadership style, you'll master the art of impactful communication by learning the translation code, and you will build your personalized difficult conversations framework. Imagine tackling tricky team talks with confidence and ease, all for the special price for you listeners of just $47. But hurry, spots limited to ensure that we have an engaging experience for everyone. It's time to go from overwhelmed to empowered and lead your business with confidence. Just head over to peoplepoweredbusiness.com.au forward slash workshop to secure your seat now. Welcome to the People Powered Business Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Lee Billet. If you employ staff, engage contractors, or rely on people to help deliver your products or services, you're in the right place. Join us each week as we dive in to uncover what makes people tick, learn the best strategies and tactics to build an amazing team, and most importantly, discover how you, the business owner or leader, can unleash the power of your people to help create the successful business you deserve. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode number 96 of the People Powered Business Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Lee. Thank you so much for joining me here on this week's episode of the podcast. This is part two of our three-part series in building trust in and with your teams. And we're running this series at the beginning of 2022 because let's face it, trust is a pretty imperative part of having a successful business and certainly of having a successful team. So if you haven't already listened to last week's episode, I do encourage you to go ahead and listen to that after this episode is fine. They don't need to be listened to in order, this particular series, but I do think you'll get a more holistic um, appreciation of the importance of trust and why we're having this discussion um, by listening to last week's episode, which was episode number 95. So today in part two of this series, we're going to go a little deeper into three more of the pillars of trust in accordance with David Horsaker's eight pillars of trust methodology. Now, just to recap where we were at from last week, I shared with you that trust is fundamental in having a team that not only we can rely on, but that are really going to be productive and effective in our business. Our people need to trust us and we need to trust our people and we need them to trust each other. So it works on all of the levels. And I shared with you the definition straight out of the dictionary about trust, which is that trust is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, or ability of someone or something. And everything for me comes back to this three three concepts of reliability, truth, and ability. And it seems pretty simple, right? We trust people that are honest with us. We trust people who have an ability to get things done. I certainly trust my neighbor who's an electrician to do electrical work in my house more than I would trust either my husband or myself to do those things. We trust someone with the ability to do things. And we trust people that are reliable, who we know that we can ask for a hand, ask for a favor, and and they will do it for us, or who say, I'm going to get that done, and they get it done every time. 
We know that trust is good for business. It improves teamwork, cohesiveness, morale, cohesion, collaboration, innovation, all the things. And when we don't have trust, all of those are undermined, aren't they? So we we get that it's important. I don't think any of us were ever doubting that. But what can be trickier is actually identifying what trust looks like and then therefore figuring out how we can go about deliberately, intentionally creating and building trust in our business. That's where it can get a little trickier, can't it? And so I think this is really important. So often when I am chatting to business owners and to leaders of people and I ask them what their biggest challenge is, they use words like um, just doing enough or um, underperforming or a culture of negativity or toxic employees. And what all of those words tell me is that we don't trust these people. And if we don't trust them, here's the thing, they don't trust us. As I shared last week, Simon Sinek has a great quote that I love, and that is that a team is not a group of people who work together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. So without trust, you don't have a team. And furthermore, he says that the more you give trust, the more you receive it in return. So you have to trust someone before they're ever going to trust you. So if you don't trust your team, that means they don't trust you. And that's a slippery slope to not a whole lot getting done in the workplace. So when I hear things from business owners about problem children, about negativity, about someone who's just doing enough, but they're not going above and beyond, we've got trust issues foundationally. So being able to really uh, identify, clarify, um, and articulate what trust looks like and how we can go about building it is really important to removing all of these performance issues in our team as well. So it is truly a foundation piece. And that's why it's so important, I thought, to kick off a brand new year with this discussion. Because I know this is going to be a challenging year for many people. The whole great resignation, (laughs) you've heard it spoken about here on the podcast and lots of other places, I'm sure, is it is amongst us. It is happening and people are looking to change. But do you know who is less likely or even won't look to change? Someone who is loyal to their employer. And how do we get people that are loyal? We get people that trust us and that we trust them and that they trust each other. Because you kind of need all those things happening. We know, you know, I've just shared with you, we don't trust our people, they don't trust us. But also if we trust them and they trust us, but they don't trust each other, then you will have flight risks as well. So you have to have it working on all the levels. And what I'm sharing with you in this three-part series is a framework that I've come across known as the Eight Pillars of Trust, which was created by a gentleman named David Horsica. And I've seen other frameworks around trust about what you can do to build trust and all of these things. But when I read them, I'm like, yeah, but how? Or yeah, but that's obvious. What, what do we actually need to do? What's the tangible? And what I liked when I looked at this particular framework was that It's much more tangible. We can actually see how we can put these things in place in our business and how we can show up in ways that demonstrate these uh, behaviors, but also that it's applicable and relevant no matter what your business, no matter what your team size, and no matter um, what your role is in the organization. So last week I started, we kicked off by having a more general discussion about trust, and I did share with you two of these eight pillars and spoke about how 
we could be, you know, implementing these and really leaning into these into our businesses. And I started you out with two ones that I thought were most important, especially as we kick off a new year, and that was clarity and consistency. So if you've already listened to last week's episode, how did you go with getting clear, getting clarity? And how did you go with figuring out how to share that clarity with your people? Have you taken any action on that? Or did you already have it baked in and you were super um, pumped and confident that it was already good to go for your team? And what about consistency? Did you have a look at what you're doing consistently day in, day out, week in, week out, that is going to help you to build trust? Did you have a look at what your team are doing consistently or what we could be doing consistently as a whole? Because I think those two, I really loved starting with them because I think they are the ones that are well, clarity, I think, has to come first. It's just that important. And that's why I talk about it on the podcast so much. Um, but consistency, I think, we, we often overlook it. We look for grand big gestures rather than consistent small gestures, and they're the ones that actually build the trust. So if you've listened to that episode, I hope you've taken some action, put some thought, have it churning through your mind in relation to trust with your team. And today we're going a little deeper into three more of these pillars. Today we're going to talk about competency, commitment, and contribution. Now, they're all three, and and there's no particular order, but I want to start, I want to kick off by talking about commitment, because I think this is something that we all can get tripped up on. I've been hearing a lot of discussions lately about the importance of knowing your mission and understanding your why, as Simon Sinek might call it, and, and really knowing your calling and what you're put in this world to do. But I think that often creates a real um, sense of tension for some of us because do we all really genuinely know that? I don't think, I don't think we do. And I think for that reason, a lot of people shy away from this sense of grand commitment because we don't know. And, and I think it's okay not to know. And I also think it's okay for things to change when it comes to that. I think we kind of got caught up into this sense of uh, this grand, I'm putting this world to do these things and I'm so clear on my purpose that for the majority of people who actually were not that clear on the purpose, we lean away from this sense of commitment and we understand that commitment builds trust. So if we think about the people that have been great leaders, they've often had this real conviction about what they're committed to. People that I'm talking about real change makers here. So these are people when we hear them talk, they're inspirational. I mean, Simon Sinek is probably a perfect example. He wasn't one that I was going to talk about, but when you think about someone who passionately talks about their vision for the future and they've got a real commitment to seeing life exist in a way that doesn't exist right now and then they can articulate that to people you know there's we we straight away sort of you know navigate towards these people and we think about the courage of their conviction that's a term I really like to use because we can see it we can feel it the energy is in the room and yes people that are committed committed to a cause beyond themselves, beyond the greater good, that builds innate trust with us because guess what? They're not in it for them. They're looking at something that, that they're trying to create something that will exist beyond their lifetime quite often. 
And when someone is doing something for the greater good and not for themselves, and they have a true commitment to that, that builds trust. But what does that actually look like at the ground level? at the coalface in our businesses. We don't have to be doing a speech like Martin Luther King that moves, you know, moves the entire population and our way of thinking, although that's amazing, that's not what most of us are doing in our businesses day to day. But we can be committed to whatever it is we're trying to achieve. And I want to share an example of this with you. And this is a really personal example, but not about me. When I was growing up, when I was a youngster, my grandfather owned his own business. I actually can't remember whether I've even told this story on the podcast before. I may have. I can't remember. But he was a timber pattern maker by trade, which I don't even think that trade exists anymore, but it certainly did exist. And he was very, very good at his craft. Now, if you if you were in Australia and you went to a um, public school in uh, maybe 60s, 70s, 80s, you will recall that firstly, we didn't have things like whiteboards or smartboards or all the fancy technology the kids have got now. We had chalkboards or blackboards as they were known. That's how the teachers used to write things on the board. And you'll also recall, if you were in that era, that the teachers used to use these timber implements. So you had this huge meter ruler, you had like a timber set square, all these timber things that were used to draw straight lines on the blackboard with the chalk, um, to create maths um, shapes and equations and all these kind of things. If you're listening, do you remember that? Please write in and let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Those pieces of timber blackboard equipment in New South Wales public schools in that era were all made by my grandfather and his business, not by him personally, but by his business. It was called W.H. Roberts and Sons. And in fact, the H stands for Harper, who is my eldest daughter, is named after him. But what I want to share with you is not that he was a great timber pattern maker, because he was, but he had commitment, commitment to a cause beyond himself. And what particularly he was committed to was during this era, the popularization, got that right, of offshoring work became a real reality of sending work to overseas factories and overseas workforces because guess what it was cheaper to do so not not much has changed in that respect so offshoring work to overseas companies and then importing it back into australia was really you know hitting its strides and becoming a real thing my grandfather was not okay with this scenario because it was costing local australian employees jobs It meant businesses like his could not compete cost-wise because they simply couldn't make the products as cheaply. And he also had a real concern that the quality may not be the same. Now, that wasn't his main commitment. His main commitment was around he didn't agree with offshoring because it was costing Australians jobs and small businesses like his could not compete. And despite having loyal long-term relationships with suppliers and with customers, they were getting beaten out by cheap overseas imports. So he was committed. He was committed to doing quality work. He was committed to doing work here in Australia. And he was committed to standing up for what he felt was right. Now, there's one thing I remember about my grandfather, who's sadly no longer with us, standing up for what he believed in was in his DNA. 
that sense of commitment was in his DNA. Now, he took that fight on. He There's newspaper clippings of him having this, you know, huge debate with the government at the time. There's a photo that hung on his wall until the day we lost him of him and the, uh, I cannot think of this gentleman's name, but he was the head of the Coles family empire because they had struck up a deal that they would retain Australian-based manufacturing for the products that they sourced. And it was him, my grandfather, making that deal, doing the handshake. So having that sense of commitment doesn't have to be about moving a nation, moving a, creating a movement. But it does have to be about a commitment to something bigger than just you and your business or something that would encourage your business to live on beyond you, something bigger than the current year, month, day a commitment to ongoing, to future-proofing and to something greater than yourself. That's the kind of commitment that builds trust. It's a commitment to also um, being consistent. We spoke last week about the importance of consistency. A commitment that is, I'm going to turn up even when things get hard. I'm going to be here and I'm going to be committed to doing this, to this business, a commitment to what you're doing. And I think the opposite of commitment is apathy. And for me, apathy is actually one of my bugbears. (laughs) I really, really don't deal well with apathy. I don't care if I don't agree with you, but I want you to have an opinion (laughs) and I want you to be committed to that opinion. So having commitment. Now think about the levels of commitment you could have in your business. It could be committed to always being on the cutting edge of technology for your industry. It could be committed to making space for working mums to have a place to work without giving up their professional careers and to be able to do that crazy juggle that is parenthood and having a professional career. It could be a commitment to every individual living with disability in Australia having access to the most appropriate tech devices to help them live the most fulfilled life possible, which is the kind of commitment I see from one of our members inside People Powered HR. So the commitment can be as big or as small, but it's that consistent commitment that helps build trust. Think about your best team players, the people you trust in your team. Are they committed? I bet they are. Are they committed to turning up and doing a great job every day, to constantly pushing themselves, to learning more? Absolutely, they are committed. And that's why commitment is one of these eight pillars of trust that David Horsaker talks about. Because without that commitment, when we've got apathy or a lackadaisical approach or we simply seem like we don't care, it erodes trust because people think, well, if they're not that committed to it, why should I be that committed to it? Why should I trust what they say if they're actually not that emotionally invested in this? So commitment, this is probably, I think, one of the trickier pillars to really get your head around. But hopefully that story that I shared with you helps you see how that builds trust in your team. Now, the second pillar that I want to chat about today is competency. Now, let's go. Let's circle back to our definition of trust: the belief in the ability, sorry, in the reliability, truth, or ability of someone. We trust competent people because, well, partly because they're reliable. Competent people get things done. Like my neighbour, the electrician, I know that when we call him to put in new power points for our outdoor entertaining area, they will work. Nothing's going to go wrong. They're going to be the quality. 
and he's going to do the right job and wire them all up correctly and do what he needs to do. I don't even know what that looks like, but I just know it happens. So we trust competency. But the, and, and I think this is an obvious one. We can see this. I shared in last week's episode my example of one of my team when I had my consultancy practice who was not competent, not even the right word. She was exceptional when it came to dealing with customers, particularly dealing with customers that maybe had a challenging conversation we needed to have with them. She was brilliant in that area. So I knew, I trusted explicitly that no matter what conversation needed to have with the, needed to be had with a customer, she was the one to handle it. I never, ever had to worry or think twice or give her a script or give her guidance about what to say. She was more than competent in doing that. And so I trust, I trusted her and you will trust people that you find competent as well. But the thing with competence is we can have a level of competence, but when we don't maintain our competence by way of upskilling, training, investing in ourselves, we can actually erode trust in that respect. And I see this happen in, I see this happen in a few different ways. An example I can think of is a hairdresser who I knew of, who was competent, had done the training, was skilled, but got a bit lax in terms of refreshing that competence in that they didn't do any further training or professional development. They had a home-based salon. They knew what they knew from their training and from what they'd put into practice, but they didn't refresh those skills. They didn't refresh that level of competence. They didn't keep up with the latest trends and time caught up with them. People began to lack trust because they didn't understand the latest techniques and technologies. They didn't know that things had changed or that that product was not no longer really great or that these new products were better for that purpose. So you do have to continue to renew your competence in whatever craft you're doing. So this might be reading, learning. It doesn't have to be necessarily investing in training, but about really just constantly keeping that competence level up. That's what builds trust to know that not only do they know what they're doing, but they know the latest and the greatest. That's where the trust continues. So you can build the trust. It's the fact you don't want to erode the trust. And this type of type of competence is what we spoke about last week as being practical trust. The trust that is quite tangible. We can see whether someone's competent. We know whether they're starting to slip in that competence. So this is a much more tangible type of trust. But I think when it comes to our team, so easy to spot, right? We know our competent people and our non-competent people we don't trust. And do you know what? Their lack of competence can sometimes be on us because we either haven't trained them, we haven't given them the guidance, the resourcing, the, the training that they needed. We haven't spoken to them about the issue around competence or ultimately we haven't exited them based on their lack of competence. So that becomes an issue of leadership and management that we really need to hone into. It's like the people that we have who, I was saying earlier, do just enough. They're okay, but they don't go above and beyond. They're barely competent. And again, that's on us, that we haven't managed that lack of competence and we haven't done something to bring that competence up. And similarly, with our team, if they're going to trust us, we have to be competent and not just competent, exceptional. We have to be competent not only in the work we do, but in how we lead, how we manage, how we make decisions. 
they're looking at us all the time for, for what we're doing, how we're acting, how we're dealing with things, how we're communicating. They're looking for subtle clues, subtle signs, and having confidence in all areas of running a business. And when I say confidence, I don't mean we have to do it ourselves. Confidence to know when to outsource and to get help. Our team are looking for that in us. And having that helps them trust us more. Okay, so that's confidence. And now I want to chat about contribution because this this is really where small to medium-sized businesses have a massive advantage. When we think about contribution, yes, people do want to contribute to the the world as, as a whole. People want to contribute to causes and they want to contribute to making the world a better place, but they're quite happy to do that in their personal time, to be fair. They're not expecting that work is going to provide them with their contribution to the greater good of the world. But what they do want to do, what people innately want to do, is they want to see results. They want to know that they're making a contribution to the business, to the success of the business, to the clients they're serving. And one of the things I hear from people who move from big business corporates into a smaller organization is they one of their main motivators and this is where you know that's going to work or not is they don't want to just be a number anymore they want to really make a difference and as i said this is not making a difference to you know necessarily the world the environment to you know nature or anything you know necessarily um you know higher level like that this is making a difference to day to day business, to customers, to the production of goods, to those things. People want to make a contribution and we trust that we can um, make that sort of contribution. We trust people who make a contribution and we trust in businesses where we can make a contribution. So this level of contribution builds trust. People that make contribution that we can see results um, that's where we get trust. People that can see outcomes, that builds trust with people, that they can see, oh, we're making progress here. I can see that my action here created this result there. So it is that sense of contribution to see results. And it might be um, seeing results on on a very tangible level, or it might be seeing results in terms of milestones to achieve something bigger. So the contribution to deliver results builds trust. And us as leaders, we've also got to make a contribution to deliver those results. We've got to be contributing so our team see that and trust us that we're contributing to this greater good as well. It's this leading by example idea, right? So plugging everyone in the team into this concept of contribution so that they're, contrib- they're all contributing and they can see each other contributing, that's part of how you create trust within the team itself. It is showing them, having it visible, having it measurable, rewarding and recognizing contribution. In your team meeting, say, hey, Jane, getting that report done really helped us. We now know where we need to focus next in order to go to the next level. Recognizing the contribution, having it visible so people can see others making contributions as well because some contributions at work aren't necessarily as visible. So having that sense of contribution from you down, from your team around each other and from your team to you in terms of results. So there are three more of the pillars of trust, commitment, competency, and contribution. What can you take from that today? Can you identify people in your team that are lacking in competence and look to change that? 
can you more articulately, more strongly talk about your commitment? Can you show up in ways that shows your commitment to your team, to your business, to what you're trying to achieve? And do you have a culture of contribution where everyone's contributing to what you're trying to achieve? Three different areas to think about. Maybe you just want to take one today. Maybe three is too many, but I wanted to share these with you so you can come to them in your own time to see how you can build trust with your people, trust of your people, and trust within your team. Such an important, important part of building amazing teams that deliver our business success. Now, I hope that's been a useful discussion for you, sharing a little more about these eight pillars of trust. In next week's episode, we're going to wrap it up with the final three pillars and we're going to surmise what we've learned in these this three-part series and really look at what you can do to implement in your business, to lean into trust, to create trust, and to really enjoy the benefits that having a trusting team gives you. So join us again next week for part three of the series. Thanks so much for joining today's discussion. It's been great to have you here. Now, if you'd like to continue to connect with us and with other business owners, leaders, and managers, I'd love to invite you to join us over in our free Facebook group. It's called HR Support for Australian Businesses. And if you head over to Facebook groups and you type that in, HR Support for Australian Businesses, you'll find us right there. But if easier, just head over to today's show notes where I will have a nice, easy link for you. And you'll find those show notes over at peoplepoweredbusiness.com episode number 96. That is it for me for today. Thank you so much for joining me and I'll be back again next week for the final part of this three-part series. Until then, take care.